So I recently cleaned up my office a bit. Uh, it was long overdue. I got some bookcases for all of my commentaries. Um, I got a standing desk that I can now look at from my comfortable chair that guests are supposed to sit in. Um, I have a, a, a French press, which I was very excited about, because now I can brew decaf coffee in the privacy of my office without the rest of the staff making fun of me for it. And I got some uh, decorative things as well. This was my Mother's Day gift. So my husband stayed home with Ember all weekend while I was at the office kind of moving and organizing. And the Friday before Mother's Day, uh, my daughter's daycare does this Mother's Day tea. I don't know if you guys are familiar with these things. Um, I, I went to it last year. But this year, I told her I couldn't go because mommy's moving her office around. But I said, we will do our own Mother's Day tea. As soon as I get home, we're going to do it just the two of us. And of course, daddy, because she wants to invite him to everything. So I get home, and Ember is pumped for her Mother's Day tea. She is so excited. She has brought out our fine china and put it on the, on the porch. And uh, she brought out cheese crackers and Cheerios and asked me to make hot dogs so we would have excellent food for our fine china. Um, and she put on just a bell dress, like a long bell dress. She asked me to put on a dress. She asked Daddy to dress up. And it was all just too adorable for words. But I was still a little bit preoccupied um, with my office move. So while the hot dogs are cooking, I jump on my computer and I just check to see if my last Amazon box was arriving today, the, the last of the stuff from my office. And lo and behold, Amazon says it's, it's already arrived. And I said, no, it most certainly has not arrived, Amazon, because I just walked in the door and the box wasn't there. And they're like, no, lady, it's arrived. Here's a picture of your door with the box in front of it. Leave, leave us alone. And I'm like, no, no, no. And then Rob comes in, and he's like, hey, the, the tea party's ready. And Ember comes in. She's like, mommy, the tea party's ready. I'm like, OK, hang on just a second, baby. I'm talking to Amazon. This goes on for a few minutes. Rob comes in again. He's like, you know your daughter. Really excited about that tea party that's going on out there. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, OK. I'm, it, it, I'll be right there. At this point, I am scrolling through videos on our Blink system, the little motion-activated camera um, that is uh, pointed at our door. Because I, some, someone has made off with my box. You know, Where is the justice in the world? I'm very upset about this. So I'm looking through these videos, trying to, trying to find out who did it. Uh, and, and unfortunately, there's like 50 videos because of a very bouncy lizard that lives right next to the camera that we have. Um, so, and, and in my head. All of this, I'm doing all this very, very quickly, right? But in reality, you know, Rob's beard has grown out. Ember's starting college, and <laughs> and come on, mommy. And I'm like, okay, okay, fine. And 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 then finally, Rob walks in, and he's looking very serious, and he's wearing a suit that his Mother's Day suit. And uh, it's hard for him to look serious because there's a giant dollop of ketchup on his tie that presumably dripped off his Mother's Day hot dog. And he looks at me, and he's like, seriously? We can uh, we can deal with this later. Why don't you just uh, come on? out to the tea party. And I don't like being scolded, so of course I kind of snap my computer shut and I'm like, fine, let's go eat Cheerios and hot dogs instead of finding out who has made off with my box. And you would think from my behavior that I had like the Mona Lisa in the Amazon shipment, but I didn't. <laughs> I had um, two fuzzy faux fur sheepskins in navy blue that I was going to drape tastefully across my new office chairs. <laughs> uh, this was not the end of the world, right? But my, my disappointment at not finding what was promised to be delivered to me that day was, was making me incapable of being present, being present with like the most adorable Cheerios and hot dog tea party that Orlando has ever seen. And, 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 and I ruined it. I couldn't appreciate the good right in front of me because I was too busy, too preoccupied with the good that had not yet arrived. What do we do? What do we do when what we expect never shows up? As Chad mentioned, we're, we're continuing this morning in our series on the minor prophets, and we took a lot, blah, too many words. We will be looking at the book of Haggai today, and it's a tiny little book. It's just two chapters. You should read it today if you have a chance. And it's written to people who are experiencing great disappointment, the delay of promises that they expected to receive already. 
Now, to understand their disappointment, we have to have at least some context on what's happening in their world. So we're going to look at that. We'll look first at, at the larger story, where they are in the grand narrative of created history. So we have to begin at the beginning. Out of love, God creates Adam and Eve and the beautiful, at the beginning, beginning. We'll be here till Wednesday. Um, I'm going to get through Genesis three minutes, I promise. So God creates Adam and Eve out of love and all the beautiful creation which he gives to them. And the only stipulation is that they not do this one thing. You have one rule. But then the devil comes and he tempts them. And they take the bait. And as a result of their disobedience and their sins, suffering and death enter the world. And then they begin to populate the earth with people, but all the people have a very hard time living in harmony with God, their creator, because they keep doing different versions of this one thing and becoming increasingly more corrupt and wicked. And so God, in an effort to bring the people back to him, he chooses the nation of Israel to lead them by example. He wants Israel to be essentially his display people, people who who live lives so full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, that, that the rest of the world looks at them and they want to know the God that they live that way for. That's their mission. Israel's mission is to live lives so good, so magnetic, so holy, that the rest of the world, they, they want to be in covenant community with God too. So keep that in mind. That was Israel's mission. That was what they were supposed to do, turn heads toward God, right? But Israel fails at that mission because she continues to do different versions of that one thing over and over again. And God warns them through the voice of the prophets. He says, guys, listen, please turn away from this, from this violence and this wickedness, or I'm going to have to step in. But they ignore the voice of the prophets because they are overconfident. They have this unreasonable confidence as a result of being God's chosen people. They don't think that God will ever discipline them. And so God, and this is important, God in his grace... God, in his grace, for all the people to whom Israel was supposed to demonstrate his love, to invite into his covenant, God, in his grace, allows Israel to go through some very refining trials in order to turn their hearts back toward God. And so Jerusalem is conquered by the Babylonians. And the people are carried off as plunder into exile around 586 BC. And again, the Israelites had this unreasonable confidence because they were God's chosen people. So this fall was devastating to them. It was shocking, but it should not have been surprising if we remember why he chose Israel to begin with. Remember, they were supposed to be the display people, the people who were set apart by love and holiness the people who live lives so full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, that the rest of the world wants to know the God they live that way for. Turn heads towards God. That was their mission. And they're not turning any heads if they look just like everybody else. You understand? Their, 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 their mission was all bound up in their obedience to God and their holiness. And so God allows this fall so that the pain, the refining pain of this experience would turn their hearts away from the idols that were slowly killing them and sabotaging their mission. And, and this is important, not because God hates comfort. I think we get this, I get this idea in my head that God hates comfort, that he just wants like the hardest thing for me because that's what's going to make me a better Christian. But that's a lie. God doesn't hate comfort. But God does love us too much to allow us to comfort ourselves to death. And that is exactly what idolatry, even in its least offensive forms, will eventually do. So the people are living in exile. 
And, and, and then Babylon is conquered by the Persians. The Persian emperor Cyrus says to the Israelites, you can go home and rebuild. And so a big group of them leave. A big group of them, they leave, they leave houses, they leave family, they leave lucrative businesses to come back to Jerusalem and rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. But when they get there, they, they, they begin to be met with all these obstacles. First, there's enemies who are violently opposing them. You can read about that in the book of Ezra. Then, then there's drought. The, the, land, the land isn't producing. There's so few resources. And they manage, just in the first two years, they only manage to lay the foundation of the temple. And after that, they just quit building altogether. And for 16 years more, not a single brick is laid. The people have lost their will to rebuild. And now they're just eking out whatever existence they can for themselves, making their houses more comfortable as, as they can but they're not, really, they're not really doing the work that God has for them anymore. And so they're just sitting there, and they're essentially waiting for something supernatural to happen. And that's when Haggai shows up with a message from God. And Haggai comes to them, he says, Guys, why are you living in these paneled houses when God's house lays in ruins? And to their credit, the people respond right away. The people are convicted by the message. They are not as, as stubborn as they were before. They were humbled by the exile, and so they get back to building right away. And so the, the, the rebuilding begins, but then about a month into the project, there's these older folks who were around before Jerusalem fell to Babylon. So they saw the temple before it fell. They saw the first temple, the, the, the temple that in its glory day under Solomon, they, they, they saw this incredible temple, and they're looking at this new temple that's going up, and they're starting to do the calculations, and they realize this is not, this is not what we wanted this is not what we expected. This is going to be nothing like what it was under Solomon. This is, this is heartbreaking. And so they're mourning and they're weeping over this temple that's being rebuilt and morale is low and there's a possibility that the work is going to stall out again. And that's where we're picking up today in our text, Haggai chapter 2. Haggai comes back with a second message after that month of building. So Haggai chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. It's in your bulletins. You can read along if you have your Bibles. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. By the way, Zerubbabel was the grandson of the last king of Judah. So he's the person who would have been on the throne had Babylon not conquered them. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. To Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem like nothing to you? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the, the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. God makes extravagant promises to his people across the Bible, doesn't he? I mean, we, we've memorized some of these promises. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future, Jeremiah 29, 11. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. These are extravagant promises. And he promised Abraham, the father of the Israelites, that he would make him into a great nation. So many, he would have so many descendants, they would outnumber the sand and the sea and the stars in the sky. And that through him and his descendants, all nations of the world would be blessed. And these people, these people who are weeping over this temple who are returning from exile and being met with all this, this disappointment, these are Abraham's descendants. 
And so I have to imagine as they, as they look around at these disappointing things, as they look at this temple, this half-finished temple, which even when it's finished is not going to be what it once was, I imagine they've got to look around at all this disappointment and think, was God telling the truth? Was God telling the truth? Did he really mean all those promises? Did he lie to us? Did he lie to us or, or did we misunderstand because this is not at all what I expected? They're disappointed. And that disappointment has hamstrung their faith. And they've stopped building and they've stopped building because they've stopped hoping and they've stopped hoping because what was promised doesn't seem to ever be showing up. My daughter Ember, uh, when, when she was little, you know, my husband's job used to take him overseas for a week or two or three at a time. He worked with refugee camps or water wells and things like that. And so when he was out of town, Ember um, would, would just be really sad. Um, it, after a period of time, she began to understand it more and more. And I would say, you know, daddy's on a trip. And she would think, OK, that means daddy's coming home, but it's just not going to be for a few days and everything's OK. But when she was younger and she had less of a cumulative memory, the experience of, of Rob being gone, even for a few days, was sometimes really upsetting to her. And so, you know, she'd, she'd kind of walk around the house pitifully and just look at me and say, I lost my daddy, which I know, like, it's like the Cruciatus curse to my heart. Um, so, you know, sometimes in the morning I'd get her up and I'd be getting her ready. And to console herself, she would say, she'd look at me and she'd say, Daddy's downstairs, which is what we say when Daddy comes home from a trip. And I would be like, Baby, I'm so sorry. Daddy's not downstairs yet. He's still on his trip, but he's coming home so soon. It's going to be okay. And, and you know, she would, she would choose whether or not to believe me. Um, so, so one night, we're, I'm getting her ready for bed. I just thought it was so sweet that she did that to remind herself, you know, Daddy's downstairs. So one night, I'm getting her ready for, for bed, and she is um, she's struggling. She's having a hard time. And so she just wanted to sit with me in my chair for a little bit until, you know, uh, Till, till it was time to go to sleep, I guess. And so I say, okay, babe. And so she cuddles up next to me and she puts her little cheek next to mine. And then she starts to whisper, Daddy's downstairs. Daddy's downstairs. Daddy's downstairs. So that was about the most terrifying 15 minutes of my life. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, time is less meaningful to Ember because she can't read a clock or a, or a calendar, at least she couldn't at that time. And it's, it's all relative. You know, if things are going well, if she's happy, well-fed, time flies. But if she's sick or hungry or daddy's on a trip, then time seems to go interminably slowly. And the things that she's waiting for, uh, they just seem to take forever to get here. And of course, the longer they take, the harder it is for me to convince her that they're still coming. God makes these extravagant promises to us for the future, health and feasting and streets paved in gold. But the reality is that not all of these promises are meant for today. Some of them are meant for tomorrow. And some of them are meant for tomorrows that won't come until our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren have grown. God makes great and glorious promises to us for the future. And on a long enough timeline, every single one of them will be fulfilled. But God's promise in the present is just to be with us. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you. It's just to be with us. He doesn't promise that they're going to see the fruit of their work. He doesn't promise the work is going to be easy. He just promises that he's going to be with them. 
as they do it. I mean, even Jesus, as he sends out the 12 to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, he doesn't then follow it up with, and surely I will bring you success and it will be easy. No. He says, for surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God's promise to us in the present is God. His promise to us is himself, and we need to be so careful to not confuse future promises with present promises, because then we will begin to experience despair where we should be experiencing hope. I mean, we take the thing that, that, that we have to look forward to, and it sends us into despair because we expected it sooner. And, and if we read the Bible at all, I mean, if we read the Bible at all, how can we not have hope when we see what God has done, when we hear what he has planned? How can we despair in that? And listen, I've lost people that I love way too soon. And I live every day with chronic illness, so, so I don't mean to be indelicate, but I have to just come out and say it, guys. Despair is a sin. It's a sin and is a sneaky, cunning, two-faced trap of a sin because it doesn't feel sinful. It feels like self-pity. It feels like grief. But at some point, it, it turns this corner, and it stops being good, healthy, normal grieving and disappointment. It becomes something far more sinister. It becomes an excuse that stops all momentum of our faith. Despair makes us into a victim, and we don't expect anything of victims. That's why it's such a tempting response, because it really, it alleviates me of all my responsibility to move forward. Despair is a sin because it leaves no room for hope, hope that, that we should have, that we must have. If we remember anything our God has done, but despair won't make room for hope. Despair says, if it doesn't exist now, it doesn't exist at all. If it doesn't exist for me, it doesn't exist at all. Rob and I recently lost a baby. Uh, we'd been trying for about two and a half years to get pregnant again, and um, just wasn't happening. And with all my weird old people diseases, we just figured, you know, this, this isn't going to happen for us. And, and we grieved that, and it, I was sad, but we knew it was going to be okay. But then about two months ago, um, through an odd series of events, I ended up driving myself to the emergency room after work. And it wasn't even urgent, but, you know, I've hit my deductible, so, you know, I do what I want. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You hit the deductible, it's like, yes, I got a hangnail, probably need a neurologist for that. <laughs> the week before, I'd had really bad food poisoning, uh, which was my own stupid fault because I ate leftover payway that I found in the break room fridge at Summit. Um, <laughs> gasp. Um, yeah, it was terrible, and I'll never do that again. Um, Actually, that's a lie. I'm sure I'll do that again because I plan to work here forever and I get hungry. So I'd been thrown up and, and, uh, and so then I started to have this sharp abdominal pain and I thought, you know, ha had I not been throwing up just a few days earlier, I probably would have taken an ibuprofen and not thought anything of it. But I thought, well, abdominal pain and vomiting, that could be appendicitis and I just want to get checked out to be sure. So I called Rob. I said, hey, I'm stopping at the ER. He was like, okay, great. Um, and <laughs> he knows me. He's like, did you get a hangnail? Um, so <laughs> So, uh, so I stopped. Worst case scenario, I lose a few hours of my life to the, to the waiting room. So I get there, and they do the exam, and they do an ultrasound, and they take blood. And then this nurse comes in and says, do you know that you're pregnant? And I literally laughed out the word, what? 
no, I, I didn't know I was pregnant and I'm delighted and I'm crying and I'm ready to call my mom. And, and I spent about an hour in just that state of bliss. And then after that hour, a doctor came in and he said, I'm so sorry, uh, but the pregnancy is ectopic. The egg implanted in your fallopian tube um, and uh, the baby's not gonna make it. Um, it's also a life-threatening condition. If it ruptures, I could die. So they ushered me into surgery the very next morning to take away my left fallopian tube and the baby inside of it. And And it broke my heart. You know, this is what I'd hoped for. This is what I'd prayed for. And when that nurse came in, I thought that I was receiving the desire of my heart. And then the doctor came in and I realized this is not turning out at all as I expected. I think one of the hardest and most surprising things about aging, and I do realize I'm only 36, but with tremors and arthritis, I feel like I'm on an accelerated track, so cut me a break. Um, one of the hardest and most surprising things about aging is that you, know, you realize, I, I still have all this work to do. I still have all this work to do, you know, work that God has called me to, you know, ministering, raising kids, telling people about Jesus. Being married is hard work, and I have a great husband. I can't imagine how hard it is if you have a terrible husband. Like, it's hard work. Writing sermons is hard work. I have a bad memory and no seminary degree. Writing sermons is hard work for me. Regroup is hard work. And it's, it's, not, it's not so much that I thought God would never ask me to do hard things. Of course he would. I knew he would. Of course he would. So much of our lives here is toil, but it's not that I thought he would never ask me to do hard things, it's just that I just never thought he'd ask me to do them under these conditions. Does that make sense to you? You know, when your car breaks down and you're already living on peanuts, or you get the stomach flu the night before a deadline, you don't have the option to miss, or you find yourself a single parent, or your marriage is so unspectacular that you don't even want to fight for it anymore when you get sick and you're already taking care of someone who's sicker. It's like, God, I, I know you're asking me to do this. I know you are, but could you just, could you just make me better so that I can? Could you just give me a little more money or a little more time or space? so that I could focus on the job or the relationship or the deadline or whatever it is that you've asked me to do, I could do it so much better if you would just change this. I know why we despair. Guys, I get it. I get when it feels like everything you've been working toward feels futile, I've been there, but if we want any chance at peace, or at joy, or at happiness even on this side of heaven, we have to get our facts straight. And the fact is that God never promised us easy. He promised us himself. He never promised us easy. He promised he would be with us in the hard. And the fact is, is that I didn't lose a child because of God. We lost a child because we are living out the consequences of a fallen world, a fall that we invited in. 
with our disobedience and our sin of fall that I continue to invite in daily with my own sin and disobedience. So of course, of course, tragedy is going to continue to happen until Jesus comes and makes all things right, but he has not singled me out or singled you out for special misery. This is just life and a creation bent by sin, but he promises us the creation will not be bent forever. And if we could just muster up enough gumption to remember, remember what he's already done, remember what he's promised to do, then we can stop, at least for a little while, being so miserable, and maybe we can even assist him in the, in the beginning of the unbending. I spent a good two weeks on my couch just crying into my ice cream. In truth, if you made a pie chart of where all my calories came from those two weeks, I'm certain that 70% of that pie chart would be ice cream, and then the remaining 30%, I think, was actual pie. <laughs> I fell apart. I fell apart for a while, and, and, and falling apart is a fine thing to do, but eventually, you have to stop falling apart, and you have to get back to the rest of your life. I mean, I have a little girl who's ready to start kindergarten. I have a, this incredible husband who, who did all his work and all of mine so that I could have the space to fall apart. I have these incredible coworkers who picked up sermons for me so that I had space and time to grieve. I owed it to them to get off the couch and get back to the business of living. This is the hardest thing, one of the hardest things that I've ever experienced, but guys, I still have stuff to do. And this did not exempt me from it. Still have dogs to walk and food to cook and laundry to do and VPK graduations to cry at what? And and you know, colleges to visit and weddings to plan, and if God is very gracious someday, grandbabies to hold. I can't spend the rest of my life on my couch, no matter how much I sometimes want to. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you. People in Haggai's day thought that their heart's desire was about to be met when Cyrus released them to go back and to rebuild, but when they got there, it was so hard. There were enemies and there were obstacles, but you understand none of that exempted them from doing the work. I think in the midst of disappointment, we have two options. We can choose despair, and we can choose to make, and this is important, to to make and then keep ourselves victims. And eventually we become useless to ourselves and to the rest of the world. Or we can choose hope. Hope which allows us to be strong and work because if despair says if it doesn't exist now, it doesn't exist at all, hope says back, if it doesn't exist now, it must still be coming. It must still be on the way. And I know hope is risky, and I am badly out of practice much of the time, but, but there's actually a way to cultivate hope in our own hearts, and this passage gives us a hint as to how to do it. Be strong, all you people of the land, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. Then verse 5. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. When you came out of Egypt, do you understand that? When you came out of Egypt, God wants us to look backward, all the way back to Egypt, apparently. God calls us to remember. The Bible calls us to remember over and over and over again. Why? Because, guys, there's so much 
to be remembered. We are God's chosen people. God has grafted us in, which means that Israel's history is now, now our history too. That means God kicked down the doors of Egypt for you. That means that God rained manna from heaven for you. That means that he parted the Red Sea for you. That is our history and our God. And if we want to understand him and his intentions for us, we have to look backward and remember. My spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Then he goes on to say in the next paragraph, verse 6, In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty, and in this place I will grant peace. God wants us to look backward, but also he wants us to look forward. In a little while, I will once again shake the heavens and the earth. He wants us to look forward in hope to the promises that are still to come. And now a little self-pity every now and again is not going to cause the apocalypse, but a little self-pity married to a bad memory or a lack of imagination will kill your faith. I think we set ourselves up for disappointment, sometimes even a crisis of faith when we confuse future promises with present promises. Guys, we, we should not... Believe God for all the wrong things. But listen, that doesn't mean we should believe him for nothing at all. That is the seed of despair. And if, if you water it, if, if you hope for nothing, you are not the only person who suffers. Listen to me, when, when we get so inwardly turned because of suffering, and I've been there, we, we feel isolated, we feel like, what does it even matter? What does it matter if I care? What does it matter if I try? What does it matter if I get off this couch and eat something else besides this ice cream? I'm not hurting anyone but me. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Because you are God's display people, whether you want the job or not. You are his love letter to a desperate world. You are his ambassador and his image bearer. People are looking at you and they are deciding something about God. Help them decide something true. And, you know, I'm not even trying to self-help you. I'm not like, get off the couch because you owe it to yourself. No, you owe it to them. You owe it to them, to, to, to your little boy who's looking at you and deciding whether or not it's worth it to work hard in an unfair system that's stacked against him because of his color. You owe it to the husband who's holding the things together so that you can fall apart. You owe it to the sister who's trying to decide whether or not ending it all is better than pushing through. You owe it to the friend who's, who's figuring out if it's even worth it to follow God at all. You owe it to them, especially when it's hard to be strong and work. And I'm not saying don't rest and I'm not saying don't have boundaries. I mean, we know from scripture there is a season for everything. There is a time for resting. There's a time for taking a break. There's a time for, for mourning and crying into your ice cream. But, but that time is finite. It will come to an end. And when it does, we still have to decide what to do next. And what God asks us to do next, through the voice of his prophets, is to be strong and work. We owe it to them. We owe it to him. Him who did nothing wrong who hurt no one and only offered grace and hope and forgiveness and yet nonetheless found himself alone in a garden weeping and sweating blood and begging that his father would let this cup pass from him. But when God said no, 
Jesus chose to be strong and work still. To die the death our sins deserved so that we might live. We owe it to him because he didn't owe it to us. But he did it anyway. Not even Jesus got to see this final victory before he died. And neither did the people of Haggai's day, but God always keeps his promises, always. He promised, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace. That was the promise, and he made good on it because that temple that temple that they were rebuilding, the one that they were mourning and crying over because the cloud of glory never came back to it, the one they were mourning over because it wouldn't be what it once was, that was the temple into which Joseph and Mary bring the baby Jesus for his dedication. The Lord of glory. The one who did, in fact, grant peace between God and men forever. God made good on his promise to return his glory to the temple, only it comes not in a cloud in a child. God always makes good on his promises. His character will not allow otherwise, but not always on our timeline. And certainly not always in the ways that we expect. God actually gave me the desire of my heart. I begged him and begged him for another child, and now I have one. I just haven't met her yet. After having spent an inordinate amount of time on the phone with Amazon and exhausting all of the videos and my Blink camera, I resigned myself to the fact that someone has made off with my navy blue faux fur sheepskins, and I could only console myself in the thought that when he opened the box, the thief would be as disappointed as I was. <laughs> there is no iPad in there, sir. Just the hide of a Dr. Seuss character. I ruined, I ruined our tea party with my bad attitude, unable to concentrate on the good right in front of me because of the good I was still waiting for. And then Rob, just out of curiosity, uh, walks over the door and opens it up. And he's like, hey, Kaylee, Box was there the whole time. The, the Amazon people must have been right behind me as I was coming in from work and dropped the box right behind. I didn't see them. And they, they, they didn't even ring the bell, probably because they thought, of course this lady has seen us. But I didn't. I missed it. It was there the whole time, and I missed it. And of course, something much better than sheepskins was in front of my face the whole night. And I missed that, too, because of my unreasonable disappointment. The end of the book of Haggai has some beautiful prophecy about the future, about God's love and blessing for a defiled nation, but it gives us no actual information about the choice of the people. Will they change? Will they be strong in work? Will they uh, avoid the idolatry that landed their grandparents in exile to begin with? We don't know. You have to keep reading into Zechariah and Malachi to find out. But I like the mystery of it myself because even though this was written to a different people in a different time under different circumstances, it still begs the same question of us today, which is, is God being with us enough? Is God being with us enough? It's a hard question, but I think it's one that we all have to reckon with as believers at some point in our walk because it will reveal to us whether we're actually seeking God 
or if we're only seeking the blessings that he provides. And if you find yourself upon honest assessment in the latter category, listen, I am not judging you. I am there all too often myself, but what I'm trying to encourage you in is that we don't have to stay there. We don't have to stay there. Don't let disappointment blind you to the tea party that's happening right in front of you. Don't let it strangle out of you the hope for all of the great and glorious promises that are still coming. And don't let it paralyze you from doing the good and important work that he has called you to do today. Is him being with us enough for us to be strong in work? Is he enough? Or are we looking for something more than God incarnate? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that at the moment of your darkest hour, that in your moment of despair, you chose to be strong and work for our sakes. Thank you, Lord, that you, even though you are all-powerful, allowed yourself to lose so that we might all win together. Lord, thank you that you are a God who knows intimately what it means to walk a mile in our shoes, that we have in you an advocate before God who knows everything we've ever felt, whose heart breaks with ours, who's joyful when we are, and who's always looking for a way to draw us back to himself. Lord, thank you. Please be near to us as we continue to walk through the challenges and the ups and downs of this life in, in a bent creation and help us hang on to the hope that your great and glorious promises are still to come. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.